The title of the lesson is Answering the Call. <laughs> Last week, I was going to do one lesson with two parts, uh, but on Sunday morning, decided this was going to become two lessons, each having one part. So this is the second part of that lesson. Last week, we looked, took a look at Luke, the fifth chapter, for those of you that were here and recall that. And that was when Jesus calls Peter. And we took a look on that particular occasion. And one of the things that I said was, I believe that Luke, the fifth chapter, is kind of a visual aid to Jesus calling someone. And on that story there is Jesus or Peter is out fishing and then Jesus comes that morning as they return from fishing all night. He ends up getting in the boat with Peter. They push out a ways and then Jesus teaches for a while and then he tells Peter to let down the nets for a catch, which Peter does and they catch more fish than they've ever caught at one time in their lives. And in so doing in that process, Peter becomes convicted, convinced that Jesus is more than just a man, that he is deity, and all those laws of nature that Peter has come to understand, that's what makes him successful at being a fisherman. There's one who controls the laws of nature, and he was in the boat with Peter. I also mentioned, I believe at that time, that there's like a pattern that we can see that people hear about the Lord. They become convicted, and then that's what leads them to follow. And that's kind of the visual aid that we see there in Luke, the fifth chapter. The second part of that original two-part lesson, which has now become an independent separate lesson, is answering the call. So you can see a pattern in the New Testament about the call, but actually throughout the scriptures, you can see a pattern to answering that call. And so that's why we're going all the way back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, to Genesis, the sixth chapter. And we're going to take a look at Noah this morning and see what it's like when someone answers the call of God. I believe there's also a pattern that is established there. Before we take a look at Genesis, the sixth chapter, if you have your Bibles, take a look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and verse 7. We're going to be studying this before long in, in Hebrews on Wednesday night. But this is where the Hebrew writer makes a comment about Noah. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. There's a pattern, I believe, and we'll, we'll take a look at this this morning. People are called they respond to the call. They do what God says. They become an example to others. And in so doing, as the Hebrew writer says in the latter part of verse 7, they become heirs of righteousness, which is according to faith. 
I think that's a pattern that is established even there from Genesis, the sixth chapter, and we see that repeated over and over. And as we take a look at this this morning, keep in mind, this is the first call, Genesis, the sixth chapter, when God calls Noah. This is the first call after man has left the garden. And we'll talk a little bit about what has taken place between the time when man left the garden and then when God calls Noah. So Genesis, the sixth chapter, if you want to turn back there, and we're going to read a few verses in just a moment. But I hope you were listening as uh, the scripture was read this morning by Clayton. From Genesis, the sixth chapter in verse nine, and we read all the way to Genesis seven chapter in verse one, and then skipped down and read verses 5 through 9. And the reason why I had that scripture read that way is because that kind of generally gives you the story about the call of Noah at that particular time. But as we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question. I guess I can go ahead and answer in the call of the story. I want to ask you this question. Do we know the story of Noah. And I think most of us would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that story. I know the story of Noah. We all know that story, right? Well, I want to ask you to go along with that. Do you really know the story of, Joe, uh, of Noah? Do we, know, do we know that story, or do we think we know the story of Noah? <laughs> and so you already know this is a trick question, right? So, <laughs> so I want us to follow along and take a look at this. And see if the things that we talk about this morning are the things that you oftentimes really equate with the story of Noah. You know, the, the story of Noah and the ark is probably one of those favorite stories that's contained in the Old Testament, isn't it? <laughs> and that's one of those stories that's oftentimes taught in Sunday school classes right? And when Caden gets just a little bit older, <laughs> he'll be hearing that story, and you'll probably hear it more than once. And do you remember in teaching a Sunday school class, now this may be a throwback to the old days, remember the flannel boards? <laughs> remember those? And you had the little flannel characters, and there was the little bearded guy in a robe, <laughs> and there was a boat and there were animals, and there was a rainbow, right? That was kind of the components of that story of Noah. And there was a flood, and that was tragic, but mostly the story that we told is kind of happy, isn't it? <laughs> and it has a rainbow and everything, and the kids get to color that, and multiple colors and all that kind of thing. And we even sing a little happy tune, don't we? Do you know that little happy tune? <laughs> and the rains came down and, the, you know, it's kind of a, somebody doesn't know that? <laughs> you want me to sing it for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there is a happy little tune that kind of goes along with telling that story. The story oftentimes goes like this from Genesis, the sixth chapter, seventh, eighth, and ninth chapter. Genesis six and verse nine. Noah was a just man in his generation. 
Genesis the sixth chapter in verse 14. God tells Noah to make an ark out of gopher wood. In Genesis 16th chapter and verse that's for 14. In Genesis 6 chapter and verse 19, you shall bring two of every kind of animal, male and female, into the ark. Genesis 7 and verse 7, Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives go into the ark. In Genesis 7 and verse 4, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Genesis chapter 7 and verses 7 through 10, and they did all that God had commanded them. Genesis chapter 8 and verses 15 through 20. After a little over a year, Noah and his family and the animals come out of the ark. And Noah offers sacrifices unto God. Genesis 9 verses 11 through 13. God promises he will never again destroy the earth with water. And he gives a rainbow as the sign of that covenant. And that's the story of Noah and the ark and the animals and the flood and the rainbow. And if that story was made into a movie, which actually it has been, <laughs> oftentimes it's made for kids. And it's rated G, isn't it? Because that's the story of Noah and the ark and the rainbow and all those animals and that kind of thing. But that story that I just told you about, that started in Genesis, the sixth chapter and verse nine. I want us to back up a little bit now and read a few verses and sort of fill in the blanks, so to speak. Genesis, the sixth chapter and verses one and two. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verses 11 through 13. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Chapter 7 and verses 10 through 12. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and, it, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 17 through 24. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. 
and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills over the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing, and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Happy little story? Not quite the same when we read those verses. And we put kind of an emphasis on those as opposed to just a little bearded guy building a boat with some animals and a happy little rainbow. The story kind of changes. See, when you read all of those verses, it goes from being G-rated to being R-rated. Or maybe even beyond that. Because it's interesting, when you take a look at those verses and the language that is used in those verses, this is anything but a happy little story. In Genesis, the sixth chapter, in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think about that. Every foul thing, every disgusting thing, every abuse, every pain, every misery that man can experience and that man can bring against their fellow man is taking place. You ever see some of those stories <laughs> or reports on the evening news about how someone adult has abused a child or someone else and you think about those things that's the story that's being told here when those words you take a look at them wickedness and violence that is repeated over in those verses that's the kind of language that is being suggested there. This is abuse. This is pain. This is mis misery. And it gets to the point where a loving God finally says, enough. And that he's going to destroy it. This is destruction like the world has never seen before. This is destruction like the world has never seen since. This is annihilation. It's what is being recorded here. And so when you take a closer look at it, it, come, it, it leaves being a, a child story, and it becomes a very adult story. And it's recorded for a reason, so that we can look at that and so that we can learn from that. But one of the things that we've got to keep in mind is 
That's Noah's world. That's the world he's living in. And in Genesis, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 11 and read down through the first part of verse 14, it said the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them for the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. This is the way it is, Noah. And I'm calling you, Noah. From all of society, I'm calling you. Noah, I'm calling you out, and you're going to have to stand out. That's what he's saying. So there's God's plan. I'm going to call. I want someone to respond. I want them to do what I tell them to do, and they will become an example to others. And that's how they can become an heir to the righteousness, which is according to faith. And God sets the pattern. And this is my plan. And you will see that repeated over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture. So God has a plan, and he calls Noah. And he says, Noah, this is what I want you to do. The world that you're living in is absolutely corrupt. I want you to be different from the world. And I want you to listen to me and to do what I say. And I want you to build an ark. And I'll tell you how to build that ark. And it will be for the saving of your soul and for your families and for creation and it'll be for others if they'll listen. See, because over in 2 Peter, the second chapter about verse 5, Peter talking about Noah says that he was a preacher of righteousness. And Hebrews, the 11th chapter and verse 7, that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about. God called Noah. He did what he said, and he was starting the pattern. And he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, that's kind of the beginning of all this. <laughs> but when you stop and think about that, Noah's going to primarily do two things. He's going to be a boat builder, and he's going to be a preacher. Now, some people look at this initially, and they think about immediately, how many other people got in that boat with Noah? <laughs> I mean, other than just his family. And so some people say, well, you know, Noah was a pretty good boat builder, but he must not have been much as a preacher. <laughs> well, I want you to hold your judgment on that for just a moment as we take a look at this. Keeping that in mind, and that's Genesis, the sixth chapter. 
And that's where that begins. And it runs through chapter 11. But I want us to kind of do the setting type of thing. Think about before Noah. It's been several centuries since man, because of his sin, has left the garden. This period of time, and including Noah and beyond, is oftentimes what we refer to in the scriptures as that patriarchal age. This is when God is dealing with man through the heads of families, the patriarchs. And up to this point in time, the time of Noah, man has pretty much gone his own way. And in so doing, the world has become corrupt. John brought up in class this morning practical application from Lamentations. Well, here's a practical application. This is what happens when society decides they don't need God. And once again, when you take a look at those words, wickedness and violence that is contained there in Genesis, the sixth chapter, let's talk about misery and suffering and abuse towards one another. Don't we see that a lot of times in our own society? So in the time since the garden up till the time of Noah, that's the way society has gone. And then in Genesis 6 and verse 5, he says, Every thought and intent of man's heart was only evil continually. But then God calls. And he tells Noah what he wants him to do. And he says, I'm going to cleanse this earth. That's up to the time of Noah. But now think about after Noah. Genesis, the 12th chapter. Here's going to come the second call. God's now going to call Abraham. And we know the rest of the story because God's going to call Abraham and through Abraham... He's going to build a nation. But think about the call. Where's Abraham living at the time? He's living in Ur of the Chaldeans. These are pagan worshiping people. Idol worshiping people. And he calls Abraham out. And he wants him to stand out. And in so doing... God's going to begin to develop his plan to bring about a nation. And that nation that he is going to eventually call out, what's he going to do? He's going to call them out so that they might stand out. And that's what happens, isn't it? In the book of Exodus, God calls his people out of Egypt, and they arrive at Sinai, and he makes a covenant with them. And they're going into the promised land, and they will have to drive those other nations out. And what's he tell them in Deuteronomy? You're going to be different. You're not going to be like those nations. I've called you, I've called you out so that you might stand out. 
and so that you might be an example to those other nations that when they look at you, they will actually see me. Same thing that he told Noah, that he told Abraham, that he's now telling the nation. And when that nation goes into the promised land, and when they begin to drift away from their calling and their purpose, what's God do? He raises someone up, a judge, calls them out so that they might stand out and lead his people back. And eventually, when those people get tired of judges and he gives them a king, those kings, God chose the first three. He called them out so that they might stand out and so that God's people might follow after him. But when they didn't, what did he do? He called out prophets that they might stand out <laughs> so that they might lead God's people back to him again. And so when you come to the New Testament and Jesus is calling disciples, <laughs> can you see the pattern being repeated over and over and over again? Called out to stand out. Called out to be different. Called out to be an example. Called out to help lead others. But now then, back to Noah. Noah was a great boat builder. He built that boat, that ark, just exactly what that God told him to do. But I think he was a pretty good preacher, too. Think about this for a moment. The world of Noah's day, Genesis the sixth chapter and verse five, Every thought and intent of man's heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6 and verse 9 says that Noah was a just man and he walked with God. Hebrews 11 chapter and verse 7 says that he moved with godly fear. New American Standard says that he moved with godly reverence. One man in an ungodly society that is called by God and God tells him what he wants us to do and he's convicted and he convinces the members of his own family to go along with him. That's what the Hebrew writer says also. For the saving of his household. God called, Noah answered, he became an example and he saved his family and he was a witness to society. Paraphrase that. <laughs> Noah's telling his family, God's called me. He's told me what he wants me to do. And his wife says, I know you, Noah. I know the kind of man you are. I know your convictions. I'll go with you. He has three grown sons. 
And they say, I know the kind of person you are. I know the kind of husband you've been. I know the kind of father. I know your convictions. I've seen the way you live life. I've seen the way you do life. We're going to do life that way too. Now here's the kicker. There's three daughters-in-law. We've seen you, Noah. We've seen the kind of man you are. We've seen the kind of family you have. We've seen the sons you've raised. We've seen your family and we've seen society. We'll get in that boat with you. We'll go with you. Now let me ask you. You think Noah was a pretty good preacher? I think so. Now, building the ark. I'm not going to take time to read this. I'm just going to run this by you because I know we're getting on our time. Genesis, the sixth chapter, beginning about verse 14 on down through chapter 7 and verse 6. Noah is six years old, 100 years old when the flood comes. You do a little calculating from the time when God calls to the time whenever the flood comes and Noah gets into the ark. I'm not going to tell you the exact number of years because it's hard to calculate, but I'm going to tell you this. It was decades in the building of this ark. The dimensions are given to Noah. And for those who like to calculate those kind of things, if we've got the measurements right, because the Bible talks about cubits, and we assume that that's about a foot and a half. So if we've got that somewhere close, that boat that he built was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet wide, and it was 45 feet high, and it has three floors and one door. And sometimes we talk about a window, but really when you take a look at that, what he's saying is you're going to build all the way up here, and then just above that there's going to be a roof, so there's ventilation. You know why there's ventilation? <laughs> a lot of animals on there, so we need some ventilation, right? <laughs> but that's the way that's going to look. That's longer than a football field. In fact, if you've ever been to Arrowhead Stadium or if you've ever saw an aerial view of it, if you went all the way from the end zone clear up to where the people, where the fans sit, all the way down to the other end, that's what that size would be. And inside of that, there's three floors. Once again, those who calculate those things say that there would be plenty of room in there for 20 full-size basketball courts. Over 100,000 square feet of interior space. 1.5 million cubic feet, which would be the equivalent of 570 railroad cars. Noah, I got a little project for you. 
It's estimated that there are roughly 18,000 different species in the world of reptiles, birds, mammals, and amphibians. If you take two of each, that comes out to roughly 36,000 critters. The average size, because some of them are real small, some of them are real big. <laughs> the average size is the size of a lamb, a sheep. Noah only needs 36,000. He's got room for 125,000. I don't know what the extra space was for exactly. Food, a little bit of movement. You're going to be in there for over a year. But think about that call to Noah. It's a corrupt world. It has never rained. Noah, I want you to build a boat big enough to hold people and 36,000 animals and enough food for a while. He doesn't even tell him exactly how long he's going to be in it. And then I want you to go tell your family this assignment I've given you. Can you imagine just leveling the ground to where this building project is going to take place? And then you've got to cut all the trees and you've got to shape all the lumber that is going to go into the, there's no home depot to run down to to get your supplies and then you've got to tell your sons i'm gonna need a little help with this <laughs> how long is this going to take pops <laughs> well it's pretty big it's going to take probably decades you think the neighbors are going to talk about it <laughs> maybe but son, we've been called out to stand out. Some who like to make phrases <laughs> said, you've been called to be odd for God. Isn't that what he's saying? People are going to look at you funny now. They're going to think you're a little strange. But this is the way you're going to invest your life. And this is going to go on for decades. A lot of people, most people, won't want to listen to what you got to say about this. And people are going to think you're weird and your message is weird. But that's what Noah was called to do. You're going to stand out for God. You're going to be odd for God. But there's a reason for this. Three points about that call. First of all, it's going to set you apart from the crowd. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter, the Apostle Paul said, speaking God's words, Come ye out from among them and be ye separate and I will be your God, and you will be my people. On the night when Jesus was going to be betrayed, John the 17th chapter, when he prayed for his disciples, 
He prayed, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart, Lord. What that means is, is that if you answer the call of God, your life's going to be different. Your language is going to be different. Your entertainment is going to be different. The way you handle your finances is going to be different. The way you love others is going to be different. The way you respect others is going to be different. The way you love your spouse is going to be different. The way you love your kids is going to be different. The way you deal with your friends, the way you deal with your enemies is going to be different from what society says. Called out to stand out. And then secondly, it's not just for your own benefit. It's for the benefit of others. And first off, it ought to be for the benefit of those who are closest to you. It ought to be for the benefit of your family. And I'm going to say this, this one thing as we pass along because I want to make these three points quickly. First of all, stand out when you answer God's call. And secondly, fathers have a responsibility towards their families, just like Noah did towards his. You know, down through the ages, I oftentimes say the way things are is not the way things have always been. <laughs> there was a time when God's people came together and there were no kids' classes. <laughs> I know that's hard for some people to believe. But the command was there for fathers to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The primary responsibility of spiritual training lies in the home, not with the church. Anything that the church does, we're just an assistant. We're just an aid to the home. And somehow over the years, that's gotten turned around. Well, we need to turn it back around. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. The primary spiritual training is to take place in the home. And then if churches aid, that's what they're doing. They're just aiding what takes place in the home. And then thirdly, answering God's call helps bring salvation to others. It doesn't mean that we save people what it means is we point them to the God who does save people. Once again, it seems like this thing has gotten kind of turned around. Because oftentimes, you know what we do? We want to compare religions. <laughs> my religion's better than your religion, or your religion's better than my religion. God has a religion. I want to point him to God. And if I can get them to see God, they'll come to understand and to find the religion God wants them to have. When God wanted to save man during Noah's time, he told him how to go about doing it, didn't he? And when he came to the nation of Israel, he told them, how to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He gave them religion. 
And when he come to Jesus Christ, I want to show you Jesus. He'll show you how to serve him, how to worship him. One other point before I close on this. You know when I said that the ark seems to have had a lot of space in it? What do you think was supposed to be in there? You ever thought about that? Let me give you three more passages. Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Called out to stand out. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends the disciples out on what we refer to as the limited commission. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. There's a word picture for you, right? <laughs> sheep among wolves. Sounds kind of dangerous, doesn't it? But he's saying that's the way it's going to be. If you answer the call, it could be dangerous. People are not always going to like you. But this is what I'm calling you to. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Jesus is with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. We talked about this. And he asked them, who do men say that I am? And Peter's the one that speaks up and answers for them. But then immediately following that, he tells them, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests and the leaders and the elders, of, and I'll be crucified. Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're with you so far, but that doesn't sound like such a good plan. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You think like men and not like God. You know what Jesus is saying? This is the way I love. I'm willing to sacrifice to show God's love. Called out to stand out. It's not going to be easy. But if you love God and love your fellow man, it's got to be a sacrificial love. God has a pattern in regards to his call. He wants us to hear. He wants us to become convicted and then follow. But once you answer that call and respond to God, do what he says, become example to others, and you receive faith reward. You know what I think God wanted in all that space that was in the ark? People. But nobody answered. <clears throat> I think heaven has a lot of room. I don't think it's going to be filled. So he's looking for those who will answer the call 
and follow his plan. Called out to stand out. No, it's not always going to be easy. But if you love God and you love man, you're willing to sacrifice for the plan. That's the story of Noah. That might be a little bit different <laughs> than animals and rainbows and all that kind of thing. But we want to extend the invitation this morning. If you've never initially answered the call, Jesus says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. As a child of God, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, you become a new creature. And as that new creature, it's God who has the one that has sway over your life and has revealed within his word how we should live. But in so doing, you'll be different from society. You're called out to stand out. You may be odd for God, but there's a reason. Because God wants to use us to call other people to him. Because he wants heaven to be filled. If you need to respond this morning, we'd be glad to assist you in that. You're invited while together we stand and while we sing.